1: Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Angeles. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing
2: good. Happy July. Oh, my Oh wait, no. Well, I guess it's, yeah, I mean, June 30th, almost July.
1: Well, I mean, it's 4th of July week, so right. halfway through the year, man. Can you believe it? I can't. I can't believe it. I can and I can't. Do we sound so old right now?
2: Yeah. I feel like every (laughs) episode we record the intro sounds like this because every week feels like a year.
1: (laughs) I was talking to Juliet. Juliet, we have mentioned on the pod a variety of times uh, as she is our friend, but also a publicist who we worked with when she was at Benefit. Now she reps House Labs and Wishful and... Uh, beauty counter, a lot of different brands, but uh, Jules, I was, I was telling her, I haven't seen Sarah in months.
2: I know, I've it's seen crazy,
1: her, but I haven't seen her. And it's <laughs> very upsetting to me.
2: I know it, it really is. But it, it proves that if we ever had to be long distance, we would be okay.
1: That's not going to happen. Nobody's <laughs> leaving the city of Los Angeles. Get a clue. It's not happening. I was thinking... But what if there's too many cases oh and we have to flee? Where would we flee to? Hawaii. Let's go to Hawaii. Can we just like pod in Hawaii together?
2: I feel like Hawaii wouldn't let anyone from LA uh, That's in. true. I wouldn't if I were them. Same.
1: They're the good people there. Uh, I was talking to Patrick this weekend on a walk and I was telling him, I think Sarah might have a big blowout one-year-old birthday party for her little BB instead of you know a, a shower and stuff because <laughs> Patrick looks like I don't he's why like do why care? are you telling me I'm I'm like listen just thinking ahead a little BB creme gotta think about the little oh. BB creme smash yeah. cake that looks like a little creme de la mer oh my god my
2: sister has been making cakes like beautiful cakes this has been her project during quarantine. So I will have her work on that. She definitely a little should. A little creme
1: cake. little creme cake. Oh my gosh. So exciting. Oh my goodness. Well, we have some beauty news today. And before we actually get into that, uh, this week's episode, we have a twofer. We have two episodes again this week. You're welcome. So today's episode is all about Sunscreen 101. This conversation with Minas Kazoulis. He is from Johnson & Johnson Consumer Inc. He is the scientific engagement director. Just a really smart man. Um, and he breaks down the difference between skincare basics, first of all, like mineral versus chemical. Is chemical sunscreen really that bad for you? What does reef safe mm-hmm. mean? How much SPF should you really be wearing? All of those questions you guys sent us, he answered them. So we're really excited about it.
2: And he just does such an incredible job of explaining it in a way that you'll understand it and then remember it. Because I feel like obviously, you know, Kirby and I are sunscreen stands. Um, (laughs) But there are still things that like, you know, escape my memory or I just forget. And it was a really great refresher. Also learning experience because he definitely talked about things that I didn't know, so.
1: Oh, 100%. So that's coming up later in the episode. And then on Friday, we have our sunscreen favorites. So we'll break down a few products that we love for our face, for our body, uh, some budget-friendly products. I know that we love to talk about sunscreen, and sometimes y'all are like, $52 for a sunscreen? (laughs) That that was my Texas impression. (laughs) $50, Texas Texas listeners. Um, so yes, we understand, uh, especially the, the sunscreens that are packaged as skincare. I mean, sunscreen is skincare, but you know, the, the ones that include like lactic acid and things Mm -hmm. like that, they're always a little bit of a higher price point, which I know some people are like, come on now. So Friday, we just wanted to break down some of our favorites uh, and talk about some terms that you may hear from time to time when referring to sunscreens that you may not be familiar with, you may be familiar with, and we just want to break it all down for you guys. So a big sunscreen week for us. One of my really good
2: friends messaged me today and was like, Sarah, should I be wearing sunscreen even if I'm just working from home indoors? Yes, she asked me this. Mm -mm. which means if she's asking me this, there are still a ton of people who are still not wearing sunscreen. In our interview
1: with Minas, I literally said that. I said, I have friends who are still texting me stuff like this, and I feel like that's why I'm losing my hair, but I can't be too sure. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's let's dive into some juicy beauty news. Oh, yes. Okay, so um, I want to break down something. We could have... I don't even know how to get into this, Sarah, because I, I, uh, this is something that people have been talking about. Yes. And I think
2: a lot of people have been asking us questions about it, especially you, because you know this person and you're very familiar also with just this world, myself included, I was asking you questions. So I think it it would serve everyone if you could lay down what was happening and explain to us exactly
1: um, what went down last week. So this is about Susan Yara and Naturium, uh, her brand. This is what we know. I wanna break down everything that has come out and what has transpired before we get into the conversation about it. So Susan Yara, if you're not familiar with her, she is a prominent skincare influencer and the founder of Mixed Makeup on YouTube. She has over a million subscribers on this channel and people really look to her as a skin influencer on the platform. Uh, she came out with a video last Sunday, so two Sundays ago, uh, on June 21st, and she announced that she was the founder of a brand called Naturium. This is a brand... Sarah, have you heard of Naturium or, or had you before this? No. It's a brand with a mastige price point, so products are between 16 and $26, and includes products like a retinol complex... A vitamin C super serum that includes retinol, hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, and salicylic acid. So they like to take a lot of uh, active ingredients and pair them together, which I think is really interesting. And I think we are going to see a lot more products like this coming out this year, especially with the intel Sarah and I have for future launches down the line. I agree. So Susan had been promoting this brand on her channel and in her private Facebook group since February of this year and she was offering discount codes to people who bought the products, and she just stated that she had heard about this brand because the brand sent her product through PR. Beauty Independent last Sunday reported in a piece on Naturium that the brand was set to make a million dollars this year. Wow, sorry, not a million, $10 million, hello that's a big difference and uh (laughs) you know since their launch mixed reports say some some people are saying the brand launched in february some are saying it launched in october of 2019 i wasn't able to verify this but obviously there's a dilemma here because if you've been promoting a brand since february and you are actually financially gaining and benefiting from this brand and you're not disclosing this relationship That's actually against the Federal Trade Commission's guidelines. And Sarah, you know this. A lot of times when we get products sent to us, it says, please thank Mm -hmm. us for the gift. Make sure that it's known that you received this product complimentary of the brand. Use this hashtag, tag us. This obviously caused a tizzy. (laughs) <laughs> with a lot of people, including her followers and her fans, saying, why would you lie to us? Why would you hide this? This feels really deceitful. This feels like, you know, it feels smarmy. It feels, um, greedy. And she said that she didn't share that she was associated with Noturium so that she could get authentic feedback about the brand. She didn't want to just be an influencer brand, which I totally respect because honestly, at this point, she is an influencer. I know her background is in journalism and things like that, but she is influencing people to buy products. And And she is in the Beauty Independent article where this was reported. She said, you know, that's kind of a foreign word to me. I don't consider myself an influencer. I really have this journalistic you know, idea of myself, just like I do, just like you do, Sarah. And so... I relate to her on that level. We t- And we talked about – we talk about this
2: extensively, I feel like, on the pod, just how there are too many influencer-backed brands and how if you are an influencer, don't do it. Because you – automatically, it's kind of just you sort of – unless you're creating something that is super, super innovative, then it's like you just automatically get a bad rep because you're like, oh, we don't need another brand. So I get why she decided – In her
1: mind that this could be a good decision for her totally and to get honest feedback but the issue lies in that she knowingly promoted the brand while financially benefiting from it without disclosing this relationship and she actually made a follow-up apology video a couple days later where things got a little confusing for me personally and she said she stated she basically stated that she didn't formally sign a contract to be a brand founder until this month, June. So the brand launched in February. She didn't sign on to be a part of the brand until June, yet she's claiming that she's a brand founder. I don't know. This is such a loaded <laughs> thing that's, I mean, I don't even know how to describe this, like catastrophe, like drama. There's so many elements to it. And and uh, Sarah, I'm, uh, I know Susan. Right. You know Susan. I know Susan a little bit better. Uh, if you guys don't know this, Susan had my job at Pop Sugar before I did. She was the on-camera beauty reporter and producer and she left. I think she was at the company maybe a year and then I came in. In my humble opinion, at best, she kind of looks she looks disingenuous mm-hmm. because even if you had not signed on to work with this brand until June, why are you promoting this brand like it's your own? It sounds like by the time Susan even got involved or knew this brand existed, she the, everything had already been made. So she was really, in my opinion, wanting to get feedback on these products to see if she wanted to even align with the brand, not if the products that she had created were already great. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. I. It's interesting too because... I'm sure it
2: all made sense to her. Obviously, Susan is a really lovely, intelligent person. Agreed. Who's been in the industry for a really long time. So she, it's not like she didn't know what she was getting into, even though she, I don't think, obviously anticipated it to get to this craziness. <laughs> totally. Level. Um, but I have heard of like companies and startups where you know, a co-founder leaves and then they are looking to replace that co-founder, which I find really like strange because to your point, you're like, why, why can't you just call it some other position? Cause it's pretty misleading to the consumer and the customer. If you're like coming in as a new f- founder, like that, that, that doesn't seem right to me. And um, that's
1: where a lot of confusion I think stems from, you know, exactly what you're saying. People online are like, okay, so how are you a founder when this brand launched in February and you weren't even attached to it yet? You know, the guy Ben behind this, you know, the incubator that's in charge of, you know, creating these brands, he created Noturium and it sounds like, honestly, to Susan's point of not wanting to be an influencer brand, it sounds like that's exactly what this kind of turned into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And I think about the people around her too. I'm like, why wasn't her co-founder telling her, hey, this is probably not the best idea? Because guess what? If if she wasn't a part of the brand yet, but she wanted to know if she should be a part of it, you can still seed product to people and get their authentic opinion without promoting it yourself. So I think that's the biggest question here. Why even promote it yourself? Yeah, I feel like,
2: and this is totally just me like looking at the situation, like I wonder if what happened was she, they didn't extend the offer until like after she had already you know, benefited, profited from the these products or, you know, extended the discount codes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which, if that's true, she should say that because then that, like, makes sense and sort of, you know, defends her position. I don't know. But I, I do have to say I hate, like, the cancel culture that's going around, obviously. Uh, and and right now, I think, in especially influencer cancel culture, like, fans are just, like, out to get people while... I completely agree with you and it's like disappointing and and it doesn't make sense why she would choose to do something like this um and and it sucks because she is you know built her fan base and her career on being like a really honest educated in- skinfluencer educator yeah. you know like unbiased reviews and all that it it definitely damp puts a damper in her reputation but I think people just also need to like be a little bit kinder and more understanding of the situation. I don't know. And I'm sure like even though it'll affect her her um, career in some way and leave like a blemish, like I'm sure she will still thrive and continue to be successful because she, um, you know, is a really smart woman. But yeah, I just think like it's just I couldn't even imagine
1: what that would felt like for her over the weekend. Like pe- all these people just like coming after her. I agree with every sentiment that you just said and i honestly feel that she will recover from this and move forward she's an incredibly smart businesswoman i mean she she launched mixed makeup on her own and was able to build it to a million subscribers in a pretty great amount of time and and has her own like production house essentially so she's a very smart businesswoman i wish that she would have consulted like it just felt like nobody was looking out for her. Mm-hmm. When it comes to brand partnerships, especially like this, it's like where you know her co-founder and and the group that wanted her to be a part of the company. Like where are they saying, "Hey, listen, you know I wouldn't promote this brand just yet if you're considering joining our team or or thing or even just like friends in the space. Like if I if this ever
2: happened to me and i talk to you about it you'd be like what what are you doing totally
1: it's all about disclosure like there are brands that i definitely talk about on this podcast because i love them and from that it has resulted in brand partnerships which great i'm always going to disclose like by the way guys i do have a current campaign running with this brand overall that's the situation Please exercise some kindness. I I while well, I agree with Sarah, you can be upset about this, especially if you are a diehard fan, are a diehard fan, and you feel maybe this was misleading. There is a respectful way to go about this. Some of the stuff that I've seen be said to her is is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel just really unfortunate that people have yeah. to hit low, especially when somebody's going through something like this. So that's drama news. Now, new launch yep. news. Launch news. Woo! I'm going to sneeze. Hold on. I'm like trying to look at a light. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I look like a crazy
2: person. Uh, okay. Did you, is it gone? I think it's gone. It's passed. Okay. We have some news for all you Glossier fans out there. I feel like it's been a minute since they've released something, Right? Yeah, Glossier. What do th- what do uh Glossier fans call themselves? Glossies? There is a word, but I don't know what it is. I don't know. I can't remember. We should know. Anyways, so, Glossier is launching a new priming moisturizer.
1: Interesting.
2: Yes, which I have to say and and we've talked about this before. Like I have I'm not a huge Uh, fan of glossy skincare products same but i did really like that thick moisturizer cream that they came out with a long long time ago but this one is a lighter gel cream okay and i think that they are launching it for summer because obviously in the summer you are looking for something a little bit lighter so it is yeah an oil control gel cream It's meant to be super lightweight, absorb really quickly into the skin, and act as a primer underneath your makeup. Um, So help, you know, your foundation. For those of you who are still wearing foundation right now, go on smoother.
1: (laughs) Or concealer. All over
2: concealer concealer. app. You know? Yes. Yes, you're right. So it launches um, today, June 30th, and it is $25, and it comes in a little tube- um, Kirby and I haven't tried this product yet. It looks like it is on the like more sheer side. Okay. <laughs> You're watching me like do this on my hand, but I literally have nothing on my hand.
1: She's swatching on her like, hand and there's nothing my to swatch. That's great. <laughs> Love that. Here's my pretend swatch. I mean, maybe that's what it looks like when you put it on. It's just like invisible. Yeah, yeah. I feel personally we're going to see more brands launching moisturizers disguised as primers. Because people, I think, just want a step. They want that priming step. And they feel like moisturizer is just moisturizer. I want a primer. Like, I, I I, keep telling people they don't need primers. But that's totally. why I liked the, the Lawless Primer for, that I described yes. last week. Because it is a moisturizer. And it really did help with redness in my skin. So it's like, okay, I can be on board with that. Because it truly is a skincare product, in my opinion. It's not just for under makeup. Does it have like silicone totally. or anything? If silicones? No. no
2: silicones. It does not. It does not. Yeah. Think that if you are the type of person who the type of person that wears makeup. I keep saying that because we're in, <laughs> in the pandemic now. I think if you're looking for a uh, moisturizer to wear underneath makeup I think that this is a good one because it is lighter, because it absorbs quickly, um, because it's oil-free, and, I, and it does not have the silicone, so you don't have to worry about that and worry about your makeup blending on your skin. But um, I think that this is definitely like a daytime moisturizer, and you should use something, you know, more substantial for the evening, especially if you have dry skin. Um, but I think it's uh, a good step for... Uh, glossier because they haven't come out with anything and people really really love their moisturizers like me so i'm excited to try it what
1: happened to glossier play what happened i
2: think they just let it die that that is just truly
1: remarkable to me
2: they're the because it's also i think i stopped following them and then i checked their instagram account like months ago and it was private
1: i just that was so weird i i understood kind of why they made a separate brand but you you make makeup just make it a part of the original line
2: they just did such a good job with like branding and hyping it up And then the product just was disappointing. Yeah, unfortunately.
1: I don't think the Glossier Girl necessarily wants those types of products anyways.
2: Unfortunately, we're not good. Like they were not quality products even, you know, that reflected the – I don't know. Anyways, excited about those moisturizers.
1: Okay, so it launches today, June 30th. Yes. Excellent. There's another launch today and it's from Kosas. And people were speculating what they thought it might be. And as it turns out, it is not a sunscreen. It is a deodorant.
2: It's a really cute deodorant.
1: Guys, this is maybe the <laughs> cutest deodorant I've ever seen. I'm not Which kidding.
2: is not surprising because Sheena
1: is all about the design. I mean, okay. So I'm reading the email right here. It, it was embargoed until today because that's when it's launching. It's called, it's their first ever body product, first of all, which I think is really interesting that they went with deodorant instead of maybe like sunscreen, body serum or moisturizer or sunscreen or something like that. So it's called the Chemistry AHA Serum Deodorant. Let me tell you one thing. I, when I saw AHA, in the the title title name of this product <laughs> i was like sign me up because i've been using alpha hydroxy acids on my armpits in Quar and it's really been going well for me. I'm not kidding.
2: No, totally. I've been exfoliating my pits in the shower a few times a week.
1: It's like very sexual. I really enjoy doing it. And I'll take like glycolic acid and literally just rub it all up in my underarm area. I'll even use apple cider vinegar and just like get in there. And whew, little a little action for my pits. <laughs> Loving it. Anyways. I need
2: this for – so apparently – After you have a baby, your pits get darker where you have like creases, if you know what I'm saying. Oh,
1: we're going to have to take you to get laser hair removal for that. Oh my God. I'm going to need everything. We're going to help you. You're going to love it. But you're going to really love it. The only reason why I get hair removal on my armpit is because it takes away the color.
2: Well, let's hope I'm not a lost
1: cause. Let's do
2: it. I can't wait.
1: Okay, so the AHA serum deodorant includes shikimic acid. What is that? Truly have never heard of this before. Mandelic acid I have heard of and lactic acid. And it says it helps create a pH environment where odor causing bacteria can't survive. So your skin is feeling soothed, smoothed, evenly toned, and bump free. So this is a serum consistency. You can imagine what that looks like. The applicator is one of those rolly balls. Love. We don't have this product yet because I think they're smart and they know that when things are embargoed, things get to be accidentally posted from time to time.
2: No one can be trusted. They
1: went ahead and they they kept that for themselves. And I'm imagining we're going to get it this week at some point. But the other key ingredients include pure aloe vera juice, which is moisturizing, hyaluronic acid and then this ingredient which looks scary but you know chemistry things like that whatever palmitoyl tripeptide 5 and this says that it firms and conditions skin harnessing the power of the highly bioactive peptide so obviously I need this yeah I need it too it's do people side note do they get their
2: wait Chrissy Teigen talked about this right do you get your what? You can get your armpits done, right? Like
1: oh, the totally. Skin? Remember when she got the fat sucked yes, out okay. of her armpit? Yes. So it didn't look like a vagina. Yes. Yes. Remember there was some show that was like, guess, guess, is it a vagina or is it an armpit? <laughs> I don't know. And by vagina they meant vulva. Okay, yeah. let's use actual terms here. But um, yeah, what are you saying? You need some? You need some of that? I just need some lipo in your pit. Yeah. Well, I, not maybe not right now, but you know, down the line. I definitely don't think you need it now. Not even close. I could definitely go for some. It's this little pocket right here, which I... That actually does look like a vulva. That does look like my naked vulva right there. But I'm also talking about the
2: actual, like, skin in the pit. (laughs) Hello, Sarah. How are you?
1: (laughs) Making my armpit tight. Sarah. Uh, This is why people, when they leave us reviews, are like, when I first heard this podcast, they were just laughing the whole time. (laughs) like... (laughs) Yep. <laughs> we were, You've been listening. You have been listening. Anyways, this retails for $15. You can get it at kosas.com and Credo starting today. And they are donating money. Oh, yeah. This is actually a really great point. Through July 13th, they will donate to the Loveland Foundation. And it's an organization committed to supporting communities of color with a focus on Black women and girls. Amazing. One last thing. It comes in unscented and serene clean, which is their scent for the deodorant. So you can pick. I wonder what serene clean smells like. Does it say?
2: No. Well, I guess we'll just have to smell it and
1: let you guys know. I'm excited. Get on my pits. Get on my pits. Okay, last thing I kind of wanted to bring up before we get into the interview with Minas. Did you hear that Kim Kardashian sold like steak? In her company, KKW Beauty, to Cody? No, I just heard that she's a redhead now. She's a redhead. She's selling steak in her company to Cody, which I guess values it at like $1 billion or something like that. Should should investors not have learned from the Kylie mishap? Well, Cody also bought Kylie, so... I guess it doesn't – I guess they don't know. They didn't learn. They didn't learn.
2: All love and respect to KK Dubs. I think, you know, obviously a brilliant businesswoman. But if you were to ask any beauty editor if they thought KKW or Kylie Cosmetics were going to be successful 10 years down the line, I think we would all have the same advice.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I like Kylie made sense – for obvious reasons, lip kit, brilliant business idea. I mean, y- capitalizing off of something people won't stop talking about on your body. So smart. I honestly think it's this, it's very similar to Kim capitalizing off her sex tape. If it's going to be out there anyways, you might as well get money from it. Okay. Kylie with <laughs> Like Kylie with <laughs> Sarah's like, I don't agree with that. Um <laughs> Oh. No. <didn't> that? <laughs> Kylie with her lip kits obviously made sense. Kylie's skin does not make sense to me at all. Like Kylie, you're 22 years old. You're going to have great skin because you are rich and you have every, every option known to man afforded to you. So I don't really believe that you're using this walnut scrub and that this moisturizer is like significantly changing your skin. I was just going to
2: say, um, like skims to me seems more exciting than KKW beauty.
1: Agreed was just going to say that Skims was what she always should have started with. Skims, people know Kim for her body. Her body is confusing at times. Her body is beautiful. (laughs) I'm speaking the truth. No, it's true. You're like, how did your waist get so small? I'm like, I, the butt also defies gravity. It's just there, her body is the thing people know about Kim Kardashian and Skims makes sense from a business standpoint. And I think, I think Skims will be way more profitable and successful in the long run because I think it's one of those brands where people are like, yeah, I want to buy comfy clothes, comfy pajamas, a waist trainer. Shapewear, I want to buy yeah. something that's going to yeah suck in my stomach. That makes sense. And I also think that, you know, Kylie sold her company when it was smart to do so. So it'll be interesting to see how these brands play out in the long run. But very interesting money moves.
2: Well, congrats. Congrats, Mrs. Kardashian West. Money
1: moves. Money moves. Alright guys, now we're going to get into the interview. Minas Kazulis is responsible for the Global Scientific Engagement Strategy for Skin Health at Johnson & Johnson. He's focused on driving scientific leadership and advocacy with healthcare professionals, the media, and consumers. After graduating from Cornell University with a BA in Biology, Mr. Kazulis began his career with Johnson & Johnson in 1999 in the Skin Research Center. Over his 21 year career, he has worked in many different research functions, including studying skin biology, developing new skincare technologies, and conducting clinical research. He has co-authored a variety of abstracts and articles, and is an inventor of multiple granted patents. We loved Minas. He was so much fun to chat with, so knowledgeable, and he's gonna teach you, you know, reef safe. Why that word is kind of problematic, to be completely honest, and And like how you should be really applying spray body sunscreen. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's not a fragrance. Mm -mm. It's not a fragrance. Mm -mm. So enjoy our interview with Minas and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts if you haven't already and send us a review. We would love to know what you think of this episode and we'll see you on Friday. Minas, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited. We're both excited to pick your brain all about sunscreen. I feel like this is the topic that Sarah and I could go on and on and on and on about um, because it's very important. We are sunscreen stands.
3: <laughs> I like that.
2: But by no mean, I feel like I, people, you know, think we're experts, which I guess we are compared to some people, but you are like the
3: expert. Oh, that's flattering. But yes, yeah, it's a, it's an area that I have a lot of passion for and know a decent amount about. So I'm glad to be here with you guys to, to talk through SunCare.
1: Of course. So um, you work for Johnson & Johnson Consumer Inc. and you have for years. Uh, so before we get into the nitty gritty of what we need to know about SPF and SunCare, can you discuss the research and innovation that goes into Johnson & Johnson brands? And guys, this is not a sponsored thing. I know this sounds sponsored, but I think it really is important to Ask like about the research that goes into why Johnson and Johnson creates the sun care products that they do.
3: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and and people might not realize uh, Johnson Johnson Consumer Health. We we make brands like Neutrogena, Aveeno, uh, Exuvian, Um Science is at the core of what we do. So we study the skin at its most fundamental level, at a cellular level in the lab, really trying to understand all the ins and outs of the skin, but then also take a lot of that research um, to the clinic, right? We actually do studies with uh, consumers, with different subjects and patients, depending on what they're looking for. And then we even explore things that are emerging, skin microbiome, behavioral science, especially in an area like sun care, you know, how do we drive better sun protection behaviors? Um, it, it You know, we look at it um, t- in totality from soup to nuts from the most basic fundamental level to even something, um, as maybe some people would consider soft science, but really critical, like behavioral insights.
1: Exactly. And you were actually, um, Sarah and I both did a zoom call a couple of weeks ago, um, to, to learn about sun care, um, with you guys and you guys have clinics all over world it's not just based in the united states you guys are getting your insights from all over the world so you really have a comprehensive approach to sun care
3: absolutely yes we have uh, a number of research facilities all all around the world from europe to asia to south america and of course here in the us Uh, and sun care is very different approach and mentality um, from one country to the other, uh, Asia has always kind of led the pack when it comes to having the type of behaviors where you're literally walking around in the sun with an umbrella to really protect your skin from the sun. Um, Australia has really led the charge in understanding sunscreen science for years now, um, and again, the U.S. is is a is a huge, uh, you know, very large population and huge market when it comes to sunscreen usage, right? So. You know, we really try to understand how all the different consumers tick, what they like, what they don't like, and how do we develop the best possible products for all of these different consumers.
2: Totally. That's so interesting. Um, So, Minas, you yourself developed melanoma. So, obviously, sun care is a really important topic to you. Can you tell us about your experience?
3: Yeah. So, um, in my mid-20s, I had gone in just for a normal... Uh, checkup with my doctor and he saw that a small little tiny mole on my leg looked a little odd. I had never been to a dermatologist up to that point um, and, you know, basically had to go in to go get it checked out and, you know, make a long story short, it became positive and luckily it, it wasn't one that spread, right? This is a, it was a skin cancer that um, stayed localized in the skin. They were able to excise it, but I did have a good four-inch scar, still do today, um, to where you know they had to remove a large uh chunk of skin to be graphic here. Um, and to be honest, I thought I was immune to this, right? Because and many of us all do. You know, my heritage, if you haven't realized by the name, is of Greek heritage. So growing up, uh, we would spend, my parents would take us periodically um to go visit family, grandparents in Greece. So we thought, you know, we were Mediterranean. We had, you know, the 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 skin that can tan and yes we might burn but you know you fight through that burn and you you start to tan afterwards um and so i think we were all shocked you know that all of a sudden at you know 25 26 years old you know i had skin cancer and then obviously since then have been super diligent um and it becomes even more personal now that i have two little children at home um my mother-in-law actually On my wife's side, she's developed skin cancer as well. So we are now super cautious with our kids. You know, I can't, you know, talk about the virtues of sun protection uh, enough with with anyone who wants to listen. So again, I'm glad here that we could have this discussion and and talk a little bit about my experience and also, you know, what people need to do to really protect themselves.
2: Yeah, exactly. I have a question quickly. Just how often are you now seeing the dermatologist for a skin checkup?
3: Oh, I think for the last 15 years now, I've been going twice a year uh, just to get skin checks and just to again nothing since then, right? So that's that's the, the I guess the public service announcement is be diligent, be proactive, um, and and you can you know prevent. Uh, You know, skin cancer in many ways. So
1: exactly, and 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 that that's exactly it. It is preventable if you take charge and take action over protecting your body and your your face. So we're isolated currently. Uh, Yeah, that's why we're doing this via Zoom. And people aren't actually able to get to their dermatologists to do skin checks. And we have dermatologists on the show a lot. And um, one of our favorites, Dr. Samalitis, is like, I'm taking telemedicine appointments, but one thing I can't do is. You know do a skin check via telemedicine can we talk about kind mm-hmm. of the abcds what should people look for uh on their own bodies and what should they be concerned about
3: as any doctor would any dermatologist would tell you uh, and for that matter you can all go on to websites like aad.org it's the american academy of dermatology's website and there's they have a great public uh forum there where they have a lot of great information uh, but you referenced the ABCDs. Um, that acronym basically comes about with looking at the, the the various moles. So A stands for asymmetry. So if a if a mole looks uh, like it's not circular, it has an odd shape, you know, that could be something that you'd want to follow up with a dermatologist. Uh, B stands for border. Uh, so if you have not a very clear border, it's not defined mole. Um, C is color. Uh, so if you have not a uniform color, if it's really, really dark and there's some light spots, I mean, that could be something that a dermatologist might want to look at a little deeper. Uh, D is diameter, so the larger mole um, are tend to be moles that dermatologists really want to take a look at, right? So these are just some you know minor tips. But again, I would say for anyone who's never been to a dermatologist, it's always great to to consider that, especially if you have any suspicious looking moles
2: is there anywhere in particular like we should be paying more attention to like yeah moles on our face moles on our neck arms any advice when you were giving skin checks
3: (laughs) it's it's a it's a great question i would say have a buddy if you have a buddy (laughs) uh to help you look because it's it's hard to look at you know all all over Uh, honestly for me my personal experience i i try to look at everything um you know, and, and, you know, whether it's on the face, whether it's in the scalp, there are areas that people kind of neglect. Uh, But really, any, if you kind of keep a mental note, that's what I try to do, keep a mental note of what some of my moles look like, in addition to my regular checkups with the doctor, you know, you kind of follow through, and if any look suspicious, or if they're in an odd spot, you know, it could be something you can follow up with the doctor on.
2: Kirby, will you give me a skin check after this via Zoom? Yeah, you're
1: going to have to give me one because... Well, and honestly, I think that that's such a great point about, you know, just keeping tabs on them. Because if one day you're looking at, like, the bottom of your toe and you notice a mole that wasn't there before, chances are you should probably get that checked out. I've had that happen to me before. Luckily, nothing major at all. Um, I have had skin biopsies, too, because doctors or my dermatologists have been like, hmm... This is a little interesting or irregular looking, and thankfully all have come back, you know, negative. But right. you you do need to make sure that you're like keep a journal. Like if you are noticing that you have a specific mole or specific area where, okay, this came out of nowhere, and then in a couple more weeks or months it's getting bigger, or you know, like Mina said, diameter is getting larger. It looks mm-hmm. irregular. Uh, it bleeds. Anything like that, oh, check, yeah. get it get it checked out immediately.
2: Okay, so. For sunscreen, we're going to walk back to the basics. Can you explain the difference between UVA and UVB protection for people who just, it's confusing, they don't know what the difference is?
3: Sure. So solar light is made up of a number of different UV rays and the rays that penetrate through the atmosphere and hit the surface of the earth are most commonly UVA and UVB. Um, UVB is a little bit more high energy. Uh, These UV rays, the UVB rays, uh, sometimes people refer to UVB as burn. Um, UVB tends to act and damage more directly your your skin's DNA. Uh, And again, often lead to a lot of the skin burning that you see. UVA is more abundant than UVB. It's a little less high energy. Uh, and it and it actually penetrates a little deeper into the skin, uh, and what UVA does it creates free radicals in your skin that actually damage um, some of the proteins, damage your cells, damage your DNA uh, both UVA UVB lead to inflammation, uh, which is what you end up seeing when you have a sunburn. so they they're both damaging in their own way, uh, and both you know eventually will lead to um, not only skin cancer, if you're not really being diligent, but actually are, are really what's driving, um, skin aging, you know, up to 90% of our skin aging for some people could be attributed to just overexposure to UV rays, like UVA and UVB. Uh,
1: okay. So contrary to what, the girls at the tanning salon told you growing up for any of my Texans <laughs> listening, aka you. me, the girl that was at the tanning salon, telling people to use the UVA bed because it was less damaging and it actually went deeper into the skin, which I don't know why the hell anybody would think that was a, a good thing to do. <laughs> I was 16. You, 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 you need to understand this. It was before tanning beds were deathbeds. So know that. And also Patrick Muldowney, if you're listening to this, oh, your sunscreen better be on. I never want to hear what can I do for my face if you're not wearing sunscreen. <laughs> there you go.
3: Single-handedly, you're one of your Facts. best anti-aging Shh. products you could use on a regular basis.
1: Amen. Louder for the people in the back, Venus. Uh, <laughs> it's just so shocking to
2: me that, especially in the last couple years, like you know, there's just so much education out there. And people still ask and are or just don't wear sunscreen on a daily basis,
1: Sarah, I'm sure you've gotten a text message or two from one of your close friends being like, "Should I be wearing sunscreen? What's your favorite and i I get that a lot. I'm like, "Oh my yeah.
2: gosh, or especially like right now because you know we're maybe not um spending as much time outdoors, but we still are." exposed to so much sun through the windows and you know the lights and stuff so yeah
1: okay so minas let's talk about the fundamental differences between a physical and a mineral sunscreen and i know sure. that there's so much to be said about about this topic in general but when it comes down to it what does a, a physical screen do versus a mineral or sorry a, a a chemical screen
3: fundamentally uh the way mineral sunscreens work are by reflecting uh, scattering and even absorbing UV light, uh, so they do it in a, in a number of different ways. Uh, chemical sunscreens help protect your skin by absorbing UV rays and dissipating that energy as heat. That's why sometimes people feel a little warm when they're applying sunscreens. Uh, it's it's actually a function of how sunscreens work. Um, both both can protect um, very well, and that's why I'm not you know I. I Whatever, to me, I'm pro-sunscreen use. So if someone wants to use a mineral sunscreen, good, great for them. If someone likes to use uh, a chemical sunscreen, again, great. Uh, I'm very supportive uh, as long as people are really being diligent about protecting themselves. And for that matter, even going beyond using sunscreens, right, wearing hats and UV clothing. I know I do that, especially when I go out to the beach. Um, the other aspect, obviously, that we all know is that you know, mineral sunscreens tend to have a little bit different of an aesthetic feel to them as, as with chemical sunscreens. Uh, so some people might prefer the, the aesthetic, the lighter feel that a uh, chemical sunscreen might have to offer versus a mineral sunscreen, although we're making great strides as an industry uh, in terms of developing nicer mineral sunscreens as well. Um, Chemical sunscreens also tend to offer more comprehensive protection, especially for someone like me with my history, I tend to want to use some of the higher SPF products just to really ensure I'm getting the best possible protection. Um, And so you could do that more easier with uh, the chemical sunscreen options. So again, there's so many options out there, different forms, different kinds of uh, sunscreen formulations, uh, there really is very little excuse for someone to find the right sunscreen
0: for them.
1: And just to clarify, physical and mineral are the same when we're discussing sunscreens and chemical is separate. I I, I think earlier I misspoke and I said mineral and physical, those are the same things. (laughs) So the two categories are chemical and then mineral or physical screens. Minas, I'm actually curious, in the industry, is there any talk about changing the term chemical sunscreen, because now with this whole clean, green movement, you know, Sarah and I see this on a regular basis with messaging a lot. I personally have no qualms using a, a chemical sunscreen, but I know that word turns people off. What are your thoughts on that?
3: I agree uh, that the term chemical has developed a pretty negative connotation in, in today's environment, today's world, right? And reality is everything we are all made up of chemicals there's the this entire science called chemistry um, and 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 <laughs> you know ironically um, when it comes to actual chemistry and the terminology we use the ingredients that we call chemical sunscreens are actually organic materials and uh, mineral sunscreens are inorganic materials so to further complicate there are these scientific chemistry terms we use. There are some of the, uh, you know, more consumer-friendly vernacular that has been adopted. And then you have some old terms like physical. And that the reason that became popular years ago is because if you think about 1980s lifeguards wearing, you know, the, the zinc oxide white uh, pasty sunscreen, you know, yes, that worked by reflecting and almost acted like a physical blocker. And that's why you had that terminology. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity to say the least to really better educate and clarify the entire sunscreen category for your listeners and beyond.
2: Okay. So our next question is if, you know, you're out and about and you have, you know, your full face of makeup on, you want to reapply your sunscreen, what would you recommend is the best way to do that? I know, um, Kim Kardashian recently shared on her Instagram stories like a, a spray SPF that she recently discovered and swears by. So is she wrong? Is she right? Uh, it,
3: it's po- I mean, there are a lot of different products out there, so it's possible. I would say my I think best advice would be find a, a sunscreen that you really really protects in a comprehensive way layer that on first, um, and then apply your sunscreen, I mean, sorry, your your makeup afterward. If you want to have a touch-up, yeah, there are products out there, right? So, you know, for example, we have a a, a Neutrogena Ultra Sheer Face Mist, it's an SPF 55, and that's really lightweight, it's oil-free, it's dry to the touch, you know, a little bit of that to help apply in some of the areas where maybe you think your original, let's say, morning application is starting to fade, Would help.
1: Got it. If you are looking for an SPF, and this was actually a a requested question, um, is it effective to use a moisturizer with an SPF or should you separate your moisturizer from your SPF?
2: Oh my God, I feel like this question gets asked so much because people are so lazy. They like don't want to apply both. So they're like, can we just do, can we do the combo?
3: it's, uh, It's a really good question actually. And I'm not surprised that there's, it comes up quite a bit. Um, I, to be honest, I think it really does depend on what type of product you're using. So, uh, a facial moisturizer with SPF um, is really designed to be more of a moisturizer, typically, um, with the added benefit of having SPF protection. Uh, and so, you're you're designing a product really for you know easy application, light feel. Um, compared to, let's say, a more traditional recreational sunscreen that is specifically developed to be a sun protection product, right? So the most common differences, I would say, are the more of the recreational sunscreens have um, film formers and polymers, ingredients that help keep the sunscreen locked in place um, and aren't going to wear as much. They have more wet Uh, sorry, uh, water and uh, sweat resistance. So the the best advice I could give you is, it really does depend on the type of activities you're planning for the day. um, What level of sun exposure do you really anticipate? Um, So if you really think you're gonna go out for, uh, you know, like a, a, a late morning run, or you know gonna do some more physical activity or gonna be outdoors a little more, especially if you're living out in Southern California, for example, you might want to use you know an actual dedicated sunscreen product um, you know if you're if you're gonna have some incidental exposure to the sun, you know hopefully you have the right moisturizer and that could be adequate just to get that little bit of protection that you need to get through part of your day.
2: So Kirby and I talk about this all the time, especially with, you know, so many brands coming out with sunscreens. We have a standard, you know, Kirby and I love an SPF 50 for our face. We'll use an SPF 35. But what's like the minimum amount of SPF we should be looking for and
3: using? Ah, great question. So there is a little bit of a difference in a, of opinion on this. I think, you know, some some people believe just pro sunscreen. If you're going to use an SP, even as low as an SPF 15, that should be just, just adequate enough to get some basic protection. I'm personally a fan of the American Academy of Dermatology's recommendation, which typically states use an SPF 30 and above. Uh, the best advice I could give is to really, really you know, look at how you think you're gonna be spending your day and what type of sun exposure you're gonna have, right? One thing I know I do I have my Apple watch, and on there I have one of the dials is is looking at the u v index, which for anyone listening if you' if you don't track the u v index, you know it's a good good tip, good habit to get into all our weather apps for the most part have that feature where you could see what the UV index is for a given day or a given period of the day. Um, and so the higher the UV index, the more intense the UV the UV exposure is at that moment in time. So, um, you know, the, the, the level of sunscreen um, is gonna dictate, I mean, sorry, the level of UV intensity is gonna dictate in many ways the type of sunscreen you should use. Um, I know for me, I, I have sunscreens from as low as SPF 30 in my house, all the way up to an SPF 100 um, sprays, sticks, lotions, because depending on the type of activity I'm gonna, um, you know, and experience, I'm gonna, you know, determine what might be that right sunscreen to use. So, uh, again, no easy answer other than have a couple of options, and depending on what you're doing. If you're out in the beach, definitely go for something a little higher. To get that added level of protection.
2: You know what I recently noticed, and she's totally going to go off because I'm going to say her name. But when you ask Alexa what the weather is for today,
0: <laughs> go off?
2: Uh, <laughs> <She> going off? <laughs> no, she's going to start. She's ignoring you. No, she's not going off. She'll ask if you want to hear what the UV index is too, which I think is something new and great. That is great. I don't think that yeah enough people are aware that that matters. You know,
1: and I I, I love the idea of having a a sunscreen wardrobe. I put mine on just as a part of my skin care routine. But if I know I'm going to the park to do a workout these days, I'll take like a um, the invisible physical defense and rub it on my melasma area. <laughs> that's a little bit more prominent just to like have an extra layer of protection. And that's, I think, like SPF 50. And I, I um, kind of side more with the... Uh, American Academy of Dermatology and that I was always like SPF 30 is fine. And I think I actually talked to you about this Venus. I said, you know, isn't SPF 30 enough? It's like 97% effective in blocking UV rays and 50% are uh, and and SPF 50 is 98%. Like what's the big difference if it's just like a 1 percentage point? And you had a really great take on this. Um do you remember?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, this, this okay. is actually uh <laughs> one of my, you know, favorite things to Educate people on right. So, um, Teach me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the statistics that are often referenced and you see it a lot. Beauty articles reference this, where you know something as high as an SPF one hundred will block about ninety nine percent of UV rays, and SPF fifty will block about ninety eight percent of UV rays, and SPF thirty is about ninety six and change. Um, and those are technically true statements, uh, but people have to understand where those numbers came from. They're, they're from controlled laboratory studies um, and some of the research that's out there when you look at real world uh, research. So, if you actually give sunscreen to people at different SPF levels, and you either you know, give them the sunscreen and you, for example, have them follow them when they're out on the ski slopes exposed to the sun or on a beach for a few days using sunscreen when you go into real-world settings, you actually can see a very clear difference between higher SPF products versus, let's say, mid-level or lower-level SPF products. So the, generally speaking, the higher you go, the more protection that will be offered uh, for sure, right? So. Yeah, there is, it, it's not uh, a, a marketing gimmick that some people believe it is. Um, those numbers that people reference, they're not wrong, but they are driven by laboratory studies. Uh, and again, sometimes you got to look at what happens in the real world to really understand uh, the level of sun protection people are really getting.
1: Yeah, you converted me when I first heard this. I was like, oh, well, sounds like SPF 50 is the only thing I'm going to be wearing. <laughs> Should we have a separate face and body sunscreen or does it matter?
3: For me, I say have as many options because there are sunscreens that are formulated really nicely that you could use on both the face and the body, right? Um, I know, for example, my wife and I do too, we love the Neutrogena Hydro Boost sunscreen. So easy to apply. It's light, it's hydrating, and you can apply it on the face and all over the body. But every, again, this is a personal choice. Everyone might have a different aesthetic that they're looking for, right? So you know we obviously are going to want to have a different feel on our face when we're using sunscreen so if if you feel that that you need to separate that out and have both a facial spf product and then a separate body product if that's going to really help drive your sunscreen and sun protection usage great if you find a product that works for both body and face for you then that that that's Awesome as well, and I I, so again to me it's it's about what everyone's personal preference is, and if someone really feels they don't really like the feel of sunscreen, there are some better options out there. So you could use some of the more aesthetically elegant products for the face if that's going to drive you to use uh, more sun protection.
2: So I think that you know we've been talking about how people are sometimes lazy, and when it comes to applying sunscreen over their bodies. They'll use like a spray sunscreen, especially if you're going to go to the beach or if you go for a run, you just, you know, get it, get it all over your body, get it done with. But do you have any tips for how to ensure that you're, you know, using it correctly and that it is actually, you know, covering all the places that you want it to be?
3: Uh, such a good question. I just saw you move your arms, right? You just kind of almost <laughs> as if, yeah, I think some people think of <laughs> spray sunscreens uh, like they do applying, you know, a, like, like fragrance. a fragrance or a body spray. You kind of spray it and like walk through it. That is a, the exact opposite thing that you should be doing when you're applying uh, a spray sunscreen. I would say that the the best analogy I could give is to think about it almost as if you are spray painting your skin. Right, you want to get a nice even coat of sunscreen using the spray on your skin right and and in many ways if you don't think it's very even you could even try to uh, rub it in uh, more evenly with your hand but the best advice i could give is to literally think about it again as as if you're trying to paint an even coat of paint on your skin and apply it with nice even strokes and if it's really windy out there Uh, which sometimes happens, you're out on the beach, either have someone put a towel around you, go into a place where it's not as windy because that's really gonna affect how much the sunscreen gets onto onto your skin.
1: We gotta get into a hot topic here. Sure. And (laughs) here we go. There is a lot of focus, especially in the sun care community when it comes to coral reefs and reef safe sunscreen. And I'm talking like this because it's reef safe is not an FDA approved term, just like clean, just like green. It's something that people have started to use, but it's not actually, it's not mandated. It's not defined by the FDA. So can you explain the background regarding the terminology reef safe and what we should know before, deciding to not purchase a sunscreen because it's not deemed quote unquote reef safe? Yeah, it's
3: a, it's a really good question. I think, like, listen, this is all stemming from what we all want to do, right? We all want to find ways to help preserve our environment and, and what better way to do that than preserving coral reefs, right? Um, you know, the, Anyone who's either snorkeled or swam and, and, and took dives down by coral reefs, it's really a, a magnificent setting. Uh, and you know, obviously, over the past few years, there's been some research um, that has implicated um, specific chemical ingredients to potentially having an impact on coral reef. You know, the side note I would give to everyone is that more research is coming out and and some of those original studies, there seems to be some conflict uh, in the research community in terms of what uh, what some of the original data look like. Um, but th- but that's the point of research, right? The whole point of scientific discovery is to have more people do research in this space to better understand what this looks like. Um, the key, I think the, the key consensus is that global warming really is the driver of of coral decline around the world. Um, and not as much sunscreens. But even with that, right, there are um, you know, brands who are marketing some of their mineral sunscreens as being reef safe. But to the point that you're making, there isn't uh, any one test that any one uh, brand can do to really um, confirm that they're reef safe. It's it's an unregulated term. Um, the FDA, like you mentioned, or the Federal Trade Commission, the U.S., the FTC, hasn't really given any guidance. There isn't a test. So it's really uh, more of a a marketing claim right now based on the absence of certain ingredients, the reality is an entire sunscreen is made up of a number of different ingredients and there aren't any tests right now available to really uh, show or prove that your sunscreen is reef safe. So again, I applaud people for wanting to do the right thing environmentally. We all try to do that as well in our household, but there is a lot still that we need to know and learn about, you know, what does a reef safe sunscreen actually mean. And again, like you mentioned, it's not regulated. So we don't know for sure if any of those products really are reef safe in the end.
1: Sarah, don't you love Minas' demeanor when he talks about things? He's like so positive, but then he's like, I love that people are so generous and, and considerate, but science. I love I love your delivery.
2: You're probably a really, really uh, great dad parenting
1: your kids. Yeah, exactly.
3: I told him to stay downstairs. You want me to bring them in and they can pull the audience <laughs> if that's true or not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> they would give you a glowing review we just know it we know it
2: yes okay so you don't wear makeup obviously so you you can't speak to this personally but um you know for a lot of people we hear like they don't like to wear sunscreen because it makes their makeup pill or it looks weird underneath their makeup um is there a reason why certain sunscreens uh, maybe pill or look you know Uh, chalky or something underneath makeup does it have to do with the ingredients some
3: makeup contains film forming ingredients right so you want to create you want to have ingredients in your makeup products that help keep your makeup locked in right prevent it from migrating and, and rubbing off it's the same thing with sunscreens as well, right? Many of our, especially the, the more the recreational body sunscreens, the ones that have water and sweat resistance, you know, you, you use polymers and you use film-forming ingredients to, to keep that sunscreen on your skin and not wash off or rub off. Um, so now when you're using, you know, makeup products that have film formers, and then you have sunscreens that have film formers when you start to, you know, any little bit of rubbing, any extra facial movement, something that might disrupt that film, you, for, for some people, you might start to develop a little bit of a, of a pill um, on the surface of the skin. If it is happening at probably due to that you know you might want to try a different product that and see if you have better success with with your makeup right a little different combination see what works for you
1: minas do you know what people maybe should look for in their products as film forming and and not necessarily to change their sunscreen but to to look in their makeup product like, oh, this has like silicone or, or whatever it is. Do you know any ingredients off the top of your head? Off
3: well, the top of my head, I can't name you exactly what they are because it all depends on the, the sunscreen formulas, but it could be various silicone or silicone derivatives. It could be polyacrylates, different types of polymers. But to be honest, every product's gonna be a little different and there's so many different ingredients available when you formulate these products. So it could vary from brand to brand, product
1: to product. Got it, okay. We've, we've reached the end of the road? How? <laughs> the, we had so many questions for you. Sarah and I were like, oh, are we going to get through all of these? And we did. We'll, we'll have to p- do, we'll do a part two. two. Woo-hoo! Yes. I would love that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about people with sensitive skin. I get this a lot. I, I want to wear sunscreen, but I feel like my skin rejects it. Um, I I get irritated. What advice do you have when it comes to using certain sunscreens? Obviously, you said you've really um, reiterated throughout this entire podcast, find something that works for you and makes you want to wear it. But what happens when you are trying different products and they keep producing the same result with irritation?
3: That is not an uncommon question, right? I think more and more people really believe their skin is sensitive. I think in the US, about 60% of the population um, feels that their skin is sensitive, right? And I, and I usually fit in that bucket as well. Um, and I would say for those who feel that sunscreens tend to be a little, let's say, irritating or they haven't found the right product, that's where you really could try some of the different mineral sunscreen options that are out there. The mineral sunscreens are a really great option for sensitive skin. Again, the one thing people have to recognize, too, is there could be some variability, even from one mineral sunscreen to the next, because a product, as I've mentioned before, is made up of a a number of different ingredients. So there could be some other ingredient in your sunscreen product, your facial moisturizer or your your body sunscreen, that could be causing an irritation. It could be something as simple as a fragrance. It could be some other component. So don't give up just yet. It's not always necessarily the sunscreen, but if you really do think it's a sunscreen ingredient, try those mineral options that are out there.
1: Thank you, Minas. That was, we, we, yeah, done. (laughs) Fiend. Mic dropped. Venus, <laughs> you're so great. Thank you so, so much for being a resource for us. We, like we said earlier, talk about sunscreen a lot. And so we're so excited to have you, the true expert on this episode, to kind of break it down for everybody. If people want to learn more about sun protection and sun care, where should we send them?
3: I would say some of my personal favorites are where people could go, places like the American Academy's website of dermatology. So the aad.org, Skin Cancer Foundation has a lot of great information about not only skin cancer but sun protection Uh, and then even on our neutrogena.com website we have some really great resources about signs of sunscreens sun protection 101 Um, so those are definitely right off the top of my head a couple great options for people go and, and learn a lot more about the
1: topic. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review and leave us a review. We love reading your reviews. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Los Angeles Pod. And look us up on Facebook and join our amazing Facebook group. We have an amazing testimonial from somebody on our Instagram page right now of a woman who completely transformed her skin listening to the pod. It warms our little hearts. You guys will hear from us next week. Bye. Have a
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.